Well, we should pray after that. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. So, Father, we just have to sit and soak in the awe of the moment of how great you are and what a great salvation you have provided. We are forever in your debt and we are forever grateful. And we pray in these next few moments you would give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and a will that would respond to the good work that you are about, even in this day. Amen. Okay, well, we are wrapping up today uh, a series where we've been talking about the movement that God's been conducting around this world. And uh, the additional good news to the fact that He is on the move and that He is making a difference in this world is that He invites us to join Him in that movement and in that work. Uh, and it's full of purpose and adventure and challenge and excitement and fear and dread. And so uh, we're grateful that uh, he allows us to be a part of all that. I uh, have been following him and have been a part of this whole adventure. I counted it up uh, over 40 years. So uh, that makes me feel old just to say that. But the fact of the matter is I feel uh, old almost every day. Every day there is some kind of message that comes my way that says, you're old. And my body doesn't let me do what my body used to let me do. And I live in a culture, as you do, that glorifies youth and is somewhat dismissive of those that don't have it. And uh, I struggle with all that. Uh, But the good news is that uh, I haven't just gotten older. Uh, By God's grace, I've gotten a little better. And uh, the tragedy is when we get older and we don't get better. The tragedy is when we get older and we don't change and we don't mature. And things that God's been designing for us all through the years hasn't happened. And so, uh, by God's grace, a lot of that has happened. So I was reflecting on that a little bit this week. Uh, There is a lot of difference between Scott Brewer at 26 and 56. At 26... I was uh, on fire and full of passion and just totally convinced that I could change the world. I'm going to change the world. The world's going to change on my watch by my life. And uh, there was a lot that was great about all that, but there was a lot that I drove people crazy with all of that. And uh, I wasn't always full of grace as I would lead ministry or participate in ministry. And so sometimes I hurt people or I confused people. Uh, I oftentimes uh, was not very wise. And so that uh, left a little collateral damage along the way. And so there's, you know, as I look back, there are things that I definitely would like to have a redo. I don't, have you ever feel that way? Like if I could just push that button and do that one again, I'd like to do that one again. Uh, but, you know, there's... There's at least one thing, by God's grace, that I have gotten right more times than not. Uh, When I uh, came to Christ at 15, like a lot of people, I struggled with the whole moving from double-mindedness to single-mindedness. Okay, 
Um, I want Christ, but I also want everything the world has to offer. By the time I was 18, that duplicity so wrecked me. I'm, I'm a freshman in college, and I'm grappling with, okay, who are you really? You're going to church every Sunday, but you live like something else during the week. That hypocrisy was so eating my lunch, I finally came to a point on a Friday night in my dorm room, kneeling beside my bed in the dark, where I said, okay, this is it. I'm either going to get wholehearted, single-minded about Christ and what Christ is all about, or I'm going to quit playing the game altogether. It, it, you know, it's going to stop. And by God's grace, I made the decision that I was, I was all in, and it was going to be His way and no other way. And part of that was a giving of my life in such a way that he had my life like a blank check. He could endorse it. He could fill it in any way he wanted to. And that decision, and it's a daily decision that I've made ever since I was 18, uh, has made all the difference in my life. It's, it's changed my life tremendously. Uh, but the point that I want to highlight for you right now and that we're going to be talking about over these next few moments is how that has enabled me to be free of a lot of entrapments in this world and at the same time lay up treasure in heaven. Now, the scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 12 that if you don't know Christ, if you are an unbeliever, you can totally get caught up with, how am I going to have enough food? How am I going to have enough clothing? How am I going to have enough stuff to make it in this world? And Jesus said, that, that's the way unbelievers think. That's the way unbelievers operate. But speaking to his followers, he said, but those of you that know me, you don't have to worry about those things. Seek first. The kingdom of God, all these things will be added to, unto you. And in the process, you will lay up treasure in heaven. So he says, you can be free to give to those in need. You can be free to pour out your life. You can be free to give yourself away because this will store up treasure for you in heaven. And by the way, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. <laughs> So there's a lot that I could want to push a redo button on, but this is one of the things that I got right more times than not. Holding the things of this world loosely, holding firmly on to the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the mission of Christ, the glory of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. And I want us to explore how that can play out in your life and in my life by an examination of the book of Galatians, just a few verses in chapter 6. And so if you have a Bible, uh, let me encourage you to open it up to chapter 6. Read those verses with me and let's walk through this together. Of course, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in a region, an area called Galatia. And he had just spent in those opening chapters a good bit of time talking about what does it really mean to have relationship with Christ. It all happens by His grace. It all happens by the price that He paid. It all happens by His securing forgiveness for you so you can be atoned to a holy God. And you access all of that by faith. He's just spent a lot of time and space addressing that. So pick it up with me in verse 7 of chapter 6. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I'm going to walk through each one of these verses, so I'd encourage you to leave your Bible open so that you can follow along with me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do that in reverse order. So let's begin in verse 10, and we're going to work our way backward. All right? Just for fun. Okay. You you have strange fun. I know. He says, let us do good to everyone. See, this is part of what the movement of Christ in this world is involved in doing. Doing good. He's looking to bless people. And he invites and involves his followers, me, you, others of us, to join him in that blessing work. We get to touch life after life after life, not in our own power, not in our own strength, not with our own goods, but by his grace, by his power, by his moving in and around their lives to bless them. So uh, Paul is pretty clear. Let us do good to everyone, and especially those that are within the household of faith. So it's a, it's a both and kind of thing. We're supposed to do it to those who are believers and to those who are not believers. We just do good. We just bless in Jesus' name. Now, that's happening to you all the time around here. See, you probably have paid absolutely no attention this morning to the fact that in the back corner there's a little booth with uh, five or six guys that are busy working back there, pushing knobs, pulling levers, all this kind of stuff. They serve you week in, week out so that you have a pretty good experience here, at least with the technology. You uh, probably were greeted when you came in. Some of you enjoyed uh, a cup of coffee that somebody got here early to make so that they could do good for you. Some of you have a child in the nursery across the hall or you have children in promised land where others are doing good for you and doing good for your children. That kind of stuff happens around here all the time. Most of you are involved in a share group and in that circle of trusted friends, people are doing good to you. You get to do good to them all the time. And, of course, that's not the only arena. God invites, God calls us, God stirs us to do good uh, all outside of the body of faith as well. And for the next few weeks, as we get into our World Christian Emphasis, you're going to have all kinds of opportunity to hear about some of the newest and the latest opportunities for you to do good. Uh, whether it's to do good at one of the local schools or to do good uh, in the lives of people who are in transition, who are uh, culturally challenged in some kind of way. Uh, we're going to be adopting a new village in Nicaragua. You're going to hear a whole lot more about that. How can we do good even internationally in the support of, of missions personnel who are trying to do good all around the globe? On and on it goes about how we get to do good. And we haven't even scratched the surface on you and your workplace or you and your neighborhood or you and your social circle or whatever. Do good, do good, do good, do good. Now, what we're to understand about all that is that that is a sowing that we do to use agricultural or farming language. As you are doing good, as you're joining God in this, there's a sowing that's happening that God is going to bring forth some kind of harvest. He's going to reap something out of that, and you get to share in the reaping of it. 
And so uh, you do good and somebody reaps a blessing out of that. And you feel blessed because they're blessed and so on it goes. He says, in due season, we will reap. Now, here's the uh, principle you want to take away from that. Sowing and reaping don't happen on the same day. So you go, oh, I've been sowing a long time. Where's the payoff? Well, they don't have it on the same day. Reaping happens later. And in fact, as you read Hebrews chapter 11, for some, the reaping happened after they died and they went on to heaven. And they saw the reward at that point. So in due season, we will reap. Continuing back up into verse 9, it says, so don't grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of sowing. Keep on keeping on. Now, you don't have to show me your hand, but anybody ever get weary of doing good? Yeah, it, it uh, can take a lot out of your life. And here's part of the challenge with that. If we get into a season where we are doing a lot of sowing and a lot of giving without a similar kind of inflow of God blessing and touching and stirring and filling us, then we can get that virtual empty tank thing going on and it becomes a bit of a grind. So when weariness sets in, you understand that that is like the needle on a gas gauge over in the E or in the red zone saying, it's time to fill the tank. It's, it's time to be with God in such a way that he does something in you. It's not a time to quit. So he says, to expound on that a bit more, you have to be very careful about not sowing or not doing good in the flesh. See, as long as you're doing this in concert with God, God serves you about something, God prompts you about something, God leads you about something, God brings a word into your heart about something, and you respond to that. You're in concert with Him. You're, you're in this kind of dance with Him about doing good and sowing and making a difference in this world. It's well. It doesn't mean it's easy. It can be hard, but it's well. But if you start doing that in your own strength and with your own ingenuity and your own ideas, your own charisma, your own power and that kind of stuff, you can get in a mess in a hurry. In fact, Paul says this can happen in a mess at least two ways. Now, he's writing this letter to believers. So he's primarily speaking to believers. But he understands every time there's a gathering of believers, there's somebody there that doesn't know Christ, that doesn't follow Christ, that doesn't have this life of Christ. And so he goes on to expound to that person who is in their midst to say, in fact, if you sow in the flesh, what you ultimately reap with that is corruption. That is to say death. So if you've taken the mindset that relationship with God and heaven someday when you die and all these kinds of things is about being good, that's a dead end. It won't get you there. In fact, it brings corruption and death to you. You can't be good enough. And he just spent all five chapters leading up to where we are in chapter 6 saying it's all about Christ. It's all about what he did. It's about, about the price that he paid. Uh, you have to trust him by faith and receive his grace and gift. You can't earn it. So if you, if you go down that track of performance, that will lead to corruption. Now, what we're kind of teasing the difference between here is salvation 
and sanctification. So let me just take a technical moment to delineate that even more. Because when we're talking about salvation, he spent five chapters talking about it already. It is by grace. It's something he does, he gives. You can't earn it. You can't gain it. You can't achieve it. It's something by his grace that through faith becomes your reality. Not by works. Not by doing good stuff. All right? But after you have been saved, after you have been born again, regenerated, you have the life of Christ in you, then you begin a different journey, not one of coming to salvation, but one that pro proceeds in your salvation in a sanctifying way. And that is to say a, a life changing, a life transforming, a life becoming like Jesus. And sanctification is also by his grace. He's at work in you in ways that you can't earn, you can't achieve it, you don't deserve it. But in cooperation, you do works as an expression of faith. You understand the difference in what we're talking about? Here's how Paul said it when he wrote to the Philippians. He said in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. So, for those of you that are in Christ, you're a person of faith. He has saved you and forgiven you of your sins, reconciled you to God. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire, giving you the power to do what pleases Him. This is why works are important. Works can't save you, but works has a way of making your salvation operative in you so that it changes your life. So let, let me describe it to you this way. So before Christ, I'm not particularly a generous guy. I'm pretty much in it for myself. After Christ, I come to Christ he begins to uh, do the saving thing, changing thing, transforming thing in me. So he begins to work generosity into me. Changes my thinking about it. Changes my feelings about it. Gives me a heart that cares. Gives me a heart that's compassionate. Gives me a heart that wants to be generous. And so I then cooperate with him working in me by working that out. And I give. That's part of sanctification. He begins to work into me compassion. All of a sudden, I have eyes to see people that are hurting. I have ears to hear their cry. My heart cares about all that because he has touched me. He's given me feelings. He's given me desires. He's given me a want to about all that. And so what he's worked into me, I work that out by caring in a variety of ways that you care. I could go on and on and on. You see what we're talking about? The difference between salvation and sanctification. And the importance that works has in all that. And at that point, works, getting back to the Galatians analogy, is like sowing. So as you are working out your salvation, not working for it, but working it out, that's like sowing seed that he brings a harvest, or he brings some reaping to at a later point. 
And some of that reaping happens here and now, and some of that reaping happens later in heaven, and it's like a reward. It's like a treasure that you're storing up in heaven. Now, as I said, he said, don't sow in the flesh. For one, it can't save you, talking to those who have yet to be saved, and to the person that is saved, he was saying, not only can it not save you, it can't sanctify you if you're doing it in the flesh. So, he says, watch out for this attitude. Because if you start sowing in the flesh and it starts working corruption in you, it starts skewing things, it starts turning things upside down, you will begin to have an attitude that says something like this. I've done my part. I mean, if you could put that in a flashing neon, Paul would say, you've got to watch out, you've got to watch out, you've got to watch out for that, because that's a deadly, dangerous kind of thing that happens into the life of a person when he is working, serving, sowing in the flesh. Well, I've done my part. I don't need to work with children anymore. I did my time. I don't need to... Uh, get involved with the poor and the hurting and those that are in, having injustice go on. So I don't have to care about I've, I've done my time with all of that. Uh, the same thing for helping uh, parents that are struggling as a single parent. Uh, I've been involved in that in times past. And the whole matter of uh, sacrificially giving to missions, to ministry, those kinds of things. I've given in the times. It's time for someone else to do that part, friend. If that attitude gets in you, that's a scary place to get. And it is indicative of having been sowing in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Because when you are sowing in the spirit, you're doing things in response to a stirring of the spirit. Not in response to a guilt thing or a should, an ought. Everybody else is you know, looking at you weird because you're not doing whatever. I want people to think well of me, so okay, here I go, I'll do something. That's flesh, flesh, flesh. And Paul said, be sure that you sow in the Spirit, because when you sow in the Spirit, it reaps eternal things. We're told in Romans 7.14, all who are led by the Spirit, are sons of God. So friend, this is a key indicator. Do I really know Christ? Have I really settled that faith issue? Has He really forgiven me of sin and redeemed me? One of the ways that you know is that you're led by His Spirit and that you're in concert with His Spirit and that you are working out that salvation He's put in you by His Spirit and you are sowing good works in the lives of all kinds of people all over the place all the time the rest of your life. That's one of the ways that you know that you know that you know that you've been redeemed. In Galatians 6, 7, Paul says the obvious, we reap what we sow. So friends, if you sow corn and you wanted wheat, it ain't happening. If you sow corn, the only thing you're going to get is corn. If you want wheat, you have to go and sow wheat. And there is just no way 
it breaks the laws of the universe for me to sow selfishness, self-centeredness, greed, idolatry, where basically I make something else more important than God. It's crazy to think I can sow those things and reap a holy, godly, eternal life. It can't happen if you reap what you sow. And he says, and know this, if you are playing around with sowing one thing, hoping, hoping that you're going to reap something else, God will not be mocked about that. You can't play that game with him. You will get burned. It will hurt you. So I heard the story not too long ago about a CEO of a company who uh, was getting older. And he decided that it was the time for him to identify his successor and get his successor in place. So he called his top uh, junior executives to a meeting and he announced to them, I'm going to retire a year from today. And one of you I'm going to appoint to be the next CEO. Well, there was a big buzz in the room. Everybody's getting excited. Uh, what's going to be the process? How are we going to make that decision? Is there some criteria that we should know about? And before any of them could voice a question, the CEO went on to explain his plan. And he walked around to each one of them and he gave each one of them a seed. And he said, now this is a special seed. I want you to go home. I want you to plant this seed and I want you to take care of it over the next year. And one year from today, I want you to bring to me what has happened with that seed. And I'll make my decision on that day as to who's going to be the next CEO. Well, they all left with a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. One of those guys' name was Jim. He goes home. He tells his wife all about it. His wife is excited. He takes the seed. She helps him. They get this little pot. They put the right kind of soil and compost in it, some fertilizer. They carefully place it in there, and they begin to water it. He watches it every day. He waters it. He continues to take care of it. A couple of weeks go by. He doesn't see anything. Three weeks go by. He doesn't see anything. And he begins to hear some of the other of his peers talking about, yeah, yeah, a little green thing pop up, it's something starting to happen, it's kind of exciting. He goes home and looks at him, nothing. Five weeks, six weeks, three months, four months, now they've got things flowering and blooming and popping up and all this kind of, he's got nothing. And he's feeling like a loser, he's feeling like a failure. And he's embarrassed, he's not even telling anybody that he's got nothing happening in his pot. But his wife encourages him, just, you know, keep doing what you know you're supposed to do with it, water it, fertilize it, so on like that. So he does. Seven months, eight months, nine months, ten months, eleven months, twelve months, CEO calls for the meeting. Everybody's supposed to bring what that seed grew over the past year. And so Jim's peers come in. And some of them have like trees. And others have these long stalk kinds of things and blooming, blossoming things and color and all this kind of stuff. And he has a pot of dirt. And he is and he's like, this is going to be the worst day of my life. You know, he, he's, he didn't even want to go. His wife kicked him out of the house and said, you've got to go. You're a grown man. Go. And so 
he's kind of hiding in the back of the room, and the CEO's like, okay, let me see what happened with your seed this year. And he goes and he looks at this guy, and wow, looks at this, wow, wow. And uh, he kind of sees Jim in the back cowering. Jim, come up here. Bring that uh, pot with you. What do you got there? And his worst moment, right, takes place where he comes forward and the only guy in the room with a pot of dirt, nothing having grown. And the CEO says, tell me about this. What happened? He goes, I don't know. I mean, I have made sure I had the right kind of soil. I watered. I fertilized. I paid attention. I cared for it. What can I say? Nothing happened. And the CEO put his arm around him. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet your new CEO, Jim. And, of course, everybody is aghast. They cannot believe What? What? How can this be? He's got a pot of dirt. What are you talking about? And the CEO said, I gave all of you a seed that had been boiled, and it was dead. None of you could grow anything with the seed that I gave you. And only one of you had the integrity to let that be what it is. Jim had sowed honesty. And out of that reaped trust to run a corporation. What are you sowing? It all counts. It all matters. Down to the changing of the diaper over in the nursery. It all matters. What good deeds, what sowing are you doing as the Spirit of God prompts you? How are you in concert with Him? How are you a part of this movement? Where is your life making a difference? You see, the big difference for me between 26 and 56 is I know now more than I've ever known in my entire life. I can't change the world. I can't change my children. I can't change my wife. I can't change my life. I know today more than I did at 26. I need Jesus more than I thought I needed him. And my life is more buried in Him and more sown in Him and more about what He's about now than it's ever been. Because in the times past, it was a whole lot more about me than it was about Him. And the whole uh, principle that John the Baptist helped us to see has to become an operative within us so that we decrease and He increases. Our sowing is not about making much of ourselves. Wow, He's a great guy. It's about making much of Jesus. So that as you're sowing and as you're doing good deeds and as you're caring about people and as you are serving them, they get it. That it's not because you're a great guy. It's because you follow a great God who works in and through you in those kinds of ways. Well, we're going to finish with where Paul started. He says, so all this stuff, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. 
This is real stuff. This is, this is real life. This is not a game. This is not something you can play with. God can't be mocked about these things. You're either going to be with Him, for Him, after Him, doing life alongside of Him. Are you going to be playing some game? And which will it be? Don't be deceived. It makes a difference because the day is going to come, Matthew 17, 27 tells us, when Jesus will return in glory, surrounded by angels, and he shall reward or pay what is due people according to their works. Your works matter. You know, wait a minute, I'm getting, I, I thought it just is a matter of being saved or not. It's a matter of what you believe or not. Belief has everything to do with your salvation. Works has everything to do with your sanctification. Belief has everything to do with where you spend eternity. Heaven or hell. Works has everything to do with what happens in heaven or hell. And everyone will be judged upon what they believe and they will be judged about what they do. We're told in Matthew 19, 21, you will have, your follower of Christ, you've given your life to Him, His life is what your life is. You will have treasure in heaven. That's exciting to me. Luke 14, 14, at the resurrection of the godly, God will reward you. Are you laying up treasure in heaven with which He will reward you? Now, what might fit that category of reward? What, what might He do in us that would have that kind of payoff? I'm going to mention three or four things to you quickly and we're through. And again, this is all in the Spirit. This isn't something you manufacture. But as God is at work in you and, and you cooperate, you are in concert with that. He says, when you seek Him... Through spiritual acts such as fasting and prayer, he's going to reward that. He says, when you submit to your employer as a faithful steward, that you work as unto the Lord with your employer, he's going to reward you for that. He says, when you deny yourself in serving me and thereby serving others, I'll reward you for that. When you serve those in need in His name, I'll reward you for that. And when you suffer for His name's sake, for His kingdom purposes, because you've been faithful to live like He wants you to live and do what He wants you to do, and that causes you to suffer in some kind of way, you have some social loss, some employment loss, or whatever around all that, He will reward you for that. And the sacrifices you make for Him will be rewarded, and some possibly a hundredfold He will reward you with respect to those sacrifices. Sharing your time, your talent, your treasure to further His kingdom he will reward you 
for that. What a gracious God. He doesn't have to do anything. But He wants to. Because He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of good plans for you and for me. So, final question. Will you? Will you believe what we've been talking about? Will you repent, stop doing it some other way, and start doing it His way? Will you surrender? He's Lord. I'm not. It's about making much of Him, not of me. Will you follow Him? Let me pray for you. Father, it just feels like such an important moment with that kind of question. And for my friend that's kind of contemplating right now whether to believe and whether to repent and to surrender and follow, I pray that your spirit would just do what your spirit does to convict and to convince and to convert. And we pray that for our sakes, but we especially pray that for your glory. Amen.